When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Miller's Oils High Performance Podcast. Stephen Chicken here, joined down the line by David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Uh, very good. I've just uh, cracked open a can of Miller's Oils. I wouldn't drink anything else. And uh, I've just enjoyed a very uh, nice three-minute chat about crisps with you <laughs> off air. <laughs> Which may well find its way on air at the end of the show. We'll see. Something to stick around for. Really get those those listener numbers through. The follow-through rate is going to be through the roof on this episode. Speaking of which, uh, I've been... Some of you may have noticed last week, more adverts than usual on this podcast. Out of my control, unfortunately, uh, and above my protests. Um, but we are being told to make sure we're getting the full complement of ads that we're getting can possibly be paid for into the podcast uh which is putting food on my table um and i'll i'll do what i can to to try and make sure that you're not getting an advert every 10 minutes but uh if you... can we can we tell them the other little bit of the story go on in that you have to put the adverts on there because thanks to the people who are listening we are believe it or not in reach's little stable of podcasts bear in mind they cover a load of premier league clubs we are in relatively insanely successful aren't we? <laughs> yeah we they've pulled away now because i think they've given it a bit of promotion but for, for a long time we were neck and neck with their manchester city podcast uh with all the yeah. right of the manchester evening news behind it so so thank you to all of you and I'm with you, Steve. If we could do less adverts, we would, yeah. but it's, it's out of I'll, I'll try and put them in the least intrusive places I, I possibly can. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But uh, yes, uh, if you are wondering, why is this ad break twice as long as it used to be? That'll be why, because I'll be stringing them back to back um, <laughs> rather than having four scattered throughout the podcast. Right then, that out of the way. We've got a win to talk about, David Harter. Remember those? Yes, I do. I do. I like wins. They're better than losses, I think. Like they are. As a Brighton fan, I can confirm. <laughs> um, yeah. So West Bromwich Albion one, Huddersfield Town two. The first win of the season for for the Terriers, and even before that sort of ninety sixth minute winner, and and I had just written in the live blog, oh, they'd take a point now, wouldn't they? Um, but even before that ninety sixth minute winner, I, I thought it was a good performance again from Town. Um, great to see Delano Bergsorg on the score sheet great to see Jack Rodoni on the score sheet this was some of the issues that you talked about last week Dave it turns out that that little uh, extended rant that you had about needing to get other people mm. on the score sheet was extremely well timed mm-hmm. yeah I I think we saw if we go right back to pre-kickoff we saw the team 
and me and you both uh, quite liked it, didn't we? Me mm-hmm. and you. It wasn't just a case of let's just change a load of names to to send messages or you know we haven't won for four games. It, it, when we actually laid the team out, I think we were both quite quite happy with that. It was quite. It was round pegs and round holes. It was some fresh legs and some different minds, and it was a chance to see sort of you know Bergsog as an attacker a bit more unleashed with a slightly more slightly freer role. Um, and I, we were not confident. I will I will big you up and say you have thought they were going to win this game for quite a yeah. while. Um, but I was when I saw the team. I fancied them to get something. I wasn't as bold as saying three points, but I fancied them to get something because I fancied them to score. And as we said on the last podcast, I've not always felt like that, if I'm hand on heart honest. And if if you can lay a team out and you think, okay, well, I fancy them to at least score then you, you feel very different, don't you? You feel very different about it. Yeah. But, yeah, I thought it was an interesting team selection. Yeah, my sort of my confidence on that, my feeling on that, I think was just motivated by having seen a couple of years, years of Carlos Corbran, and I just thought, this is the kind of game, I, th- I think Town now are the kind of side that he hates playing against, um, or hated playing against when he was Town manager, because we know he, how much he's about control, and controlling the variables, mm. and... And town are very much um, about sort of organised chaos, um, particularly when they're playing the three-five-two. And I just thought, I think there's going to be too much chaos <laughs> in the town side for him to to account for. And I think that was especially true with the change of shape, the four changes, Ben Wiles and Bergsorg in the starting lineup for the first time. You say square pegs and square holes. I think the only sort of exception to that was David Kasumu at right wing back, which was a bit of a, a left field shout. Uh, Neil Warnock said Sorba Thomas had a, a bit of a knock, but um, even still picking Kasumu for that role. He did play there a couple of times last season, but I don't think with sort of mixed results, I think we would say. I think he did it against Birmingham and was decent and then did it against uh, Swansea and, and was a mm. bit rubbish. Um, but he has played, I think he's probably played out wide more than he's played through the middle for Warnock now or close to. But he, he actually did well. Um, and I think sort of his inclusion told you everything about what he Neil Warnock wanted from this side and and how he was setting up, which is a solidity and and fight and energy on the counter attack, and that's exactly what we got. It was it was setting a team up to play as the away side properly in an away game. Yeah, that was the thing. Not doing it in a home game, <laughs> and it was the 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 plan works they they knew West Brom were going to have sort of over 60% possession which they did but they knew if they stayed solid they'd limit their chances which is yeah again is what they did town had had i think 30 something percent possession but I think. had a four four or five more shots than West Brom because they were being more proactive in possession they had i think over double their corners you know they cuz it was nice to see Warnock go back to. I've said it on here a couple of times that I think Warnock can make them the best team off the ball in the league. But it was nice to see Warnock. I mean, I'm, it sounds like I'm being really damning here. I'm not, but there's no other way to put it. It was nice to see a team that looked like they were thinking about what they did when they had the ball as well and being really proactive and being clinical. That's what I talked about. And I talked about it on the Andy Takes That Chance podcast as well. If you're going to play this way, the one thing you have to be is clinical. And they were clinical. You know, they, they took the two big chances in the game and... 
Yeah, it felt very like a worn-up performance from the end of last yeah. season, and I don't think it's any surprise. I'd be interested in your take on this, but like Warnock's good form happened last season, where he really got his teeth into it, and Town started going the right way. Was after a bit of a Watson all clear the air team meeting after a couple mm. of dreadful performances. It doesn't feel like it's a surprise to me that he's rung the changes, he's set them out differently, he's got this win in a week where he's had a bit of conflict again. Because I think he just it just. I think he just thrives on it, Steve. I think he almost needs it. You know, I think it's I think it's what gets an extra 5% from Neil Warnock because that felt like a Warnock managed performance and a proper team plan and a, you know, an an 11 that did everything they were asked and a little bit more and I thought his subs were more proactive, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. for for different reasons and it just felt it felt like he was more invested than he has been. And that's not to say, you know, I'm saying, oh, he hasn't been trying or anything like that, but it just felt like a more... Felt like we were back to where we were at the end of last season because I don't think we've been there until this point. And, yeah, I think that, that little bit of that little bit of niggle we saw in the press conference, I think with Walnut, goes a long way. Yeah, I, I think we'll come on to that later because I think there's a, a lot to talk about on that. But I think even just having lost 4-0... I, I, couldn't help but think after the game and I didn't make a big play of it in the in the conclusions because I don't think <laughs> you don't want to be saying oh they need to lose 4-0 once every while but it I think there were a few players there who had had a, a a rocket up them for the first time in a while and were playing like it you know or had had an arm around the shoulder when they needed it as Neil, uh, Neil Warnock said he'd done with Lee Nichols after his error last week he said you know um I think he was a bit distracted by the transfer window, some of the rumours around him. He said there was no sort of firm interest in him, but obviously there were rumours throughout the summer um, and it had been playing on his mind and he wasn't himself. He was, you know, a little bit sulky around the training ground, which isn't like him, but hopefully that's been put to bed now because the window's shut. Um, and I thought he he looked like a player who Ian Bennett had got him in on the training ground on Monday and said, right, Lee, let's work on some kicking. Because, uh, you know, I'm not saying he suddenly turned into Edison, but every kick that he did make had a bit of extra welly behind it, shall we say. I think Michal Helic, I can't remember if we said it on air or just between us, but I think he had not been quite where he was last season, but I thought he was back to, to that level here. I think off the ball, he just seemed to be that little extra sort of 10% sharper. Um, and yeah, I think you could see Josh Cromer when he came on as well. I think he, him getting dropped to the bench and having to come on and, and make an impression from the bench again. I think he's a player who needs that now and then just a reminder, you aren't undroppable. Um, and we talked last week about how he hadn't hit form yet. I thought that was easily his best performance of the season. The uh, the sort of the final about twenty five minutes in the end, till the fifteen. If you look at the seventy fourth minute introduction, but but twenty five minutes in the end really. Um, and of course, there was new dimension as well. I, I think. To be honest, I thought Town were going to play three five two more this season, and I'm surprised this is the first time we've we've seen it. I think it is a formation that suits them, and and I think now it's why why change away from that. But I think it also was made possible by, or made even more viable, I should say, by Ben Wiles, who comes into the side and can work as a midfielder, but he's so mobile and makes such good runs that it's almost like having a front three, just having him in that midfield. Yeah, I I think. 
anybody who saw Ben Wells a couple of seasons ago, they know what he's what he's all about, really. And I think it was interesting that they clearly want to get him back into that role where he's progressing up the pitch. He's not playing just through the middle of the park as he was doing a hell of a lot at Rotherham. He was sort of given a little bit of a watching brief more than anything else. And I think he, that's not where his strengths lie. And um, yeah, I thought the midfield just looked better. Just looked, everyone looked a bit more comfortable. Um, and I think Wiles is, he's obviously they've paid the money for him he's going to be one of the first names on the team sheet and you 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 saw early signs of what he can do and what he might deliver so very very positive and as i said i think the the balance of that midfield is better it just it allows players like sort of Rodoni to to progress forward with a little bit more intent and it, yeah it all just kind of worked i thought it all just kind of worked yeah i think they they were much better inside the box. You know, we saw the winning goal, for instance, um, and DTS pointed this out to me, it's David Kasumu's run into the box that draws all the West Brom defenders back and creates that space for for Jack Rodoni uh, to score. And I don't know if... Um, and I mean, this might be unfair, but it sort of feels like there's been a lot of times this season where Town have had two men in the box, you know, Danny Ward and Jack Rodoni, and if, they've not been, if that. If that. Yeah, yeah. and they've, you know, because we know that Sober Thomas likes to, his natural inclination is to go wide. We know that Josh Cromer likes to come at, attack the box from outside the box. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm sure you could find plenty of counterexamples to that, but it was good to see that sort of, that box was a, a bit more packed and, and created that goal and, Obviously, Bergsorg as well. We kind of, Joe, I think not talked about much. Obviously, he's going to be, he already looks like a player who's going to be a big fan favourite. Um, I think he's um, hard to get off the ball is the words I've said a million times, but it's it's true. I think, as I put in the conclusions, that also applies to his own teammates because he passed mm. the ball less than half the time he had it uh, on Saturday. But as a rope, if he keeps finishing like that, then he can do that. Fine. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a, it was a good goal. I think I think the th- reason we perhaps haven't talked about him as much as we should is is because when you do your research on him, it's kind of it's kind of difficult to say. Well, he's definitely going to do this job because his career so far has been one where he's looked good in one position and been moved to another, and then he's looked okay there and he's been moved to another. And he's ended up sort of playing in three different roles, really, and kind of not really excelling in any of them. So it was a case of, well, how how is he going to be used? And the two up top, I think, works much better yeah. for, for Town. You know, I think I'm not going to have the Danny Ward round or anything like that again, but like when you have one man up top, it's a very, very difficult role when Warnock sets that side out to have one man up top. And I think when you go to a two, immediately you just look a little bit more dangerous. And he looks to me like that player who is going to contribute in two or three games in a row and then go missing for two or three. Bergsorg, you mean? But then contribute again. Yeah, Bergsorg, then just contribute again in two or three games. And I I think that's fine. (laughs) You know, for Town's ambitions this season, I think that's fine. And I know we said it last uh, on the last pod, but Danel Sonani. Yeah. Who you know he was he 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 went on those little mini runs through the season and came up with some quite big moments and some quite big early goals that sort of platformed Town's 
uh, platform the game for town from there. But then also, you know, he'd have those two or three games where he was, it just didn't contribute at all and was hooked off on, on the hour with almost, you know, regular. I mean, me and you would sit there looking at the hour and go, is, is he coming <laughs> off yet? Is he coming off? 63 minutes and he's still playing. Um, so I kind of think that that sort of role is fine, really town going forward and now he's found the back of the net we know what that does to players don't we how it changes their fortune yeah I, I think all of town's options for the forward line are more comfortable playing in a two which I don't think is yeah. I don't think is you know we, we know that Ward can play up top but as it stands at the moment I think at least until he's in a bit of gets himself in a bit of goal scoring form I think playing him with a partner is good for him I think Bergzorg mm-hmm. I think the evidence of this game is particularly the way that he was rotating with Wiles because the two of them Bergsall likes to come deep and Wiles likes to push forward and that just feels like a natural natural yeah. complementary flavours um, those two doing that um, Harrett and Karoma came on I thought at exactly the right time I agree with you on the substitutions I think this is the first time we've sort of seen the subs make a, that kind of impact Harrett's got a goal and assist to his name this season if we're counting the cup which is more than anyone else in the squad can say Um a great ball for Jack Rodoni and a great run and he'd made an early run to get onto one of Yutanakiyama's balls forward another substitute mm. but as I say I think Karoma was, was at his best again and I, I keep banging on about this but I think Josh Karoma's best performances have all for town since Warnock came in have all been at centre forward in a front two um, mm. so against Watford and, and Sheffield United and again his best performance of the season so far here was playing in a front two with Keen Harrett so I think that sort of and then obviously you've got Pat Jones and and Carl Hudlin as you sort of five and six so you've got you know I think Ward Harrett and um and and Hudlin are sort of your your three conventional centre forwards and then Bergs or Karoma and Jones are your three who are a bit different a bit more bit trickier a bit quicker um, and I think you've got options there, and I think the nice thing with playing that too is then if if one of them is out of form, you 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 switch him for for one of the other options, and you try and keep one in form at any one time, and you can keep the opposition guessing because they know it's not necessarily going to be Danny Ward up top in his own at any one time. I think it does. I think it'll be interesting to see after the break, you know, when Silver Thomas has, has got over this knock. Um, whether he where he fits into that because he would have been I think if you'd said Town are switching three five two you would have said Silver Thomas would play at right wing back I think Kasumu did quite well there wonder if Silver might have a bit of a spell on that because I don't think you'd play I don't know he, he has done it but I don't think you would necessarily play Silver in that front too no I don't I don't think you would not with the other options that are available really um, and I think. I kind of think it's horses for courses because I think there's a couple of different ways you can play the 3-5-2 yeah. against different opposition as well. I think the way they played against West Brom was they kind of didn't press. It's kind of about sitting in and being quite solid, making sure your lines are right, controlling space, uh, having a couple of triggers for the press on certain players You know, to try and... You, you don't give John Swift any room to sort of turn and create and pick passes, for example... But then there's another way to play it where you play the 3-5-2 and you are a bit more proactive so you play a little bit more on the front foot and it's where you you want to push the opposition back. And I think that's where Sorba comes into it really because Sorba's a very good player at stretching one side of the pitch. So I think, I think it really depends on the opposition going mm. forward. I think the 
the key for the 352 for me is not really sober it's the fact that i think as you said all the attacking players look more comfortable in a two up front or aiming for a two frankly you know in terms of their creative lines into them but also i think that three at the back suits them far yeah, better um and I, I I think I, the thing is you don't want them to come obvious and just sort of relentlessly play the same way or anything like that. So I do just wonder if like Kasuma is your option for one game, yeah, but Sorber is very much your option for another. Yeah, Kasuma away, Sorber at home, kind of thing. And it could it could feasibly happen on the other side with I think I think Josh Ruffles is I think he started the season really well and he kind of. I think some people have made their mind up as to what Josh Ruffles is and they won't have they won't have him no matter how well he plays. For me, he's kind of been a bit of a Gary Neville this season so far, which is like he's always been a sort of 6 or 7 out of 10 over there. I don't think you're ever going to get games where he's like a 10 out of 10, but he's just been really consistent and I can see a world where if you have Kasuma and Thomas doing it on the right, you've got Yuta and Ruffles potentially doing it on the left, mm. you know. I think um Interestingly, Ruffles was the left-sided centre-back. I thought he was brilliant in that role, actually. Um, I, I thought he, he had a really, really good game. I was I nearly put him alongside Jonathan Hogg on a nine, but, but decided against that. But but he wasn't too far off. I thought Hogg was brilliant. We'll get on to Hoggy in a moment. But uh, Interestingly, I was at the, the B-team game at the Millersors High Performance Complex, as we all definitely call it, um, on Tuesday afternoon. And... Yutanakiyam was playing and he was playing in a as as the left sided wing back. Um and they had sort of moved other players out of out of position to sort of accommodate that. Um Ben Jackson was the right sided wing back as well. Um so don't know how much you want to read into that, but I know that previously when I've seen Yuta they've played him on the left of the back three. So I thought it was interesting that they've given him a go out on on in that wing back role. I and I wonder if that's just to have a look at him. I thought Headley Headley was up and down. I think that there was one moment in particular where he absolutely rinsed his man and absolutely delighted me. Um, but I thought there were other moments where he looked, un- unusually for him actually, uh, looked a bit sort of hesitant to, to make a challenge. He looked like a player who'd been told after his red card, ease off a little bit and had gone a little bit <laughs> too far the other way at times. But I thought he finished the, the, the mm. game, you know, before he went off, had you know, finished the game reasonably well, to be fair to him. I think every time I see Headley, I think the same thing, which is like there's no there's no substitute for having fifty appearances, mm. is there? That's the thing, and he's just got to build him up. He's going to have games like this. He's going to have games where he looks, he really, really looks the part, and he's going to have other games where he he struggles a bit. I think, but I think with Headley, I think you look at Headley, and I think you see enough in the games where he's good and he shows it that you just keep the faith yeah. and you keep going. You know, there's one or two others who maybe you'd look at and say, okay, well, we've kind of seen the progress and it's perhaps not enough but with him you go yeah absolutely fine but it's it's interesting because I think we'll have to have a little conversation in this podcast about the transfer window but I think in certain positions town have got lots of options because they've got different it's not just that they've got different players it's that they've got players who can play a role in a different way Mm -hmm. and offer a different thing so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I think they've got the biggest squad in the league or anything like that, but I think they've got quite an interesting squad in that somebody asked me a question on the Andy Takes That Chance preview pod I did saying, is it just going to be a season of square pegs in round holes? And one of the points I was making was that sometimes you, you 
got a square peg in a round hole because you're making it round. You know, they need to play there and develop there, etc. And I think there will be a bit of that this season. But yeah, it, it's. I think I think if we can get Warnock really Warnock in games now, you know, really looking at them and and doing what he did for that West Brom game. I think I'd really hope they can put together a little run because they've got the horror of the first five horrible fixtures out the way and they can relax going into certain games going forward. And I don't mean, you know, take it easy or anything like that or expect to win. I mean, they're not playing Leicester. <laughs> they're not playing those sort of teams. So, Yeah, I, I, I know that there's been... You, know, you look at 23 outs, four ends, but... And I guess we're sort of getting onto transfer window chat now. I don't think there is square pegs in round holes this season. I think there's there's two options for every position at least. Um, you may not love all those options, but I think there's yeah. there's particularly sort of left back, left sided wing back. I think they're they're looking good. I think if we're considering David Casimo right wing back now, then they've mm-hmm. got options there. Particularly once Turton's back, they've got those six forward options that we talked about they've got those midfield options we talked about you know Prima Diara didn't get on Josh Rostfield Romani Edmonds Green didn't get on in this game Tom Edwards was left out in this game Sorba Thomas wasn't in the squad in this game Tom Lees has not been seen yet this season but he's due back after the international break um, so you know the, the 23 outs if we include the low knees who went back to their parents clubs at the end of last season um, how many of them would you actually put in the starting lineup anyway is the question I would ask because I think nearly all of them um, are sort of kids who aren't quite ready yet, likes of of Brody Spencer um, or Scott High, and a load of others are your Rolando Aaron's and your Conor Mahoney's. Who, let's be honest, they're, they're nowhere near. Jordan Rhodes, I think, has his fans, but Neil Warwick didn't seem to be particularly one of them in terms of picking his team, at least. Um, so the biggest misses really are, are Kamara, Holmes and, and Hungbo. And I know Holmes has started the season well at, at Preston, but I'm not sure he would get into this team at the moment. Um, no, and he will he will do that, Dwayne yeah. Holmes. He will put together five or six games. It's the problem is he then... We've, uh, we've even spoke about it on the podcast. The thing you've got to do with Dwayne Holmes is like when he goes on that run, he's just playing, but the minute he drops off, you've got to hook him out because he just becomes a passenger for three games. So he will do yeah. that. And like you say, I don't know where he fits into this side. And I mean, it's a nine-man bench, so he would get on the bench, yeah. don't get me wrong. But I I don't, however you lay that formation out, I haven't got Dwayne Holmes starting in any of them. Yeah. And and Hungbo and Kamara you know, were both out of favour by the time that, that massive run started. And you've got so, you've got your Hungbo replacement, really. And I'm not even talking about Bergsorg. It's Sorba Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> he was your Hungbo replacement. So... Yeah, it's. I think the, the big miss, the thing we have to talk about, though, is the striker, yes. isn't it? That's the, the, they haven't got that striker in. I I do think they could have done with it. You know, I'm yeah. not going to go back on what I said last week just because they haven't got one in, and they've they've won at the weekend. I do think it's a role in the squad that they haven't they haven't got. I don't think Harrod's quite there yet. If I'm honest, I know I know he's got the goal and assist, but I just don't think he's quite there. I think they might have to address it in January. Yeah, you know they they we know they were after a striker. Everybody knew they were after a striker. 
they haven't got a striker. So clearly, they're not now suddenly going to feel, oh, it's all right, don't worry about it, we'll worry about it in the summer. They That's kind of... And it's a certain type of striker for me, Steve. It's it's We won't repeat ourselves, but they haven't got a, a Martin Waghorn, bit of a bully, sharpens his elbows before every game type Steve Mounier striker. type, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we shall see on that front. But yeah, I don't think it was a... I don't think it was a horrendous transfer window. I don't think it was necessarily like a, a blindingly brilliant one or anything like that. But yeah, I think if they'd have got that striker in, I think we'd both say it was a pretty positive window overall. Yeah. But so to to there is a gap to to judge it based on missing out on one player as important as that player might have been. But again, it's it's just but it wouldn't it wouldn't be a first team it. strike. We've spoke about it's, this. It was Steve. a specific type of somebody striker. to rotate. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there definitely will be games where they miss it, where they look completely ineffective, and they're trying to get forward. They can't get out there enough. They've got no focal point. I'm with you. Just just because they're not got one, I'm not going to suddenly go. Oh, actually, it's fine. Um, I think it is a pity that they've not got that signing done, and and it, it will cost them points at some point this season. Um, they can mitigate that, as we talked about last week, by if Jack Rodoni keeps getting goals, if. Ben Wiles gets on the score sheet. If Bergzorg and Ward get on form, or to be honest, any of any of those forward options at any one time, really being on form at any point would be would see them through. Um, plus set piece goals, you know, th- those are those are the areas you're looking at. And if they're doing those things, then the amount they'll miss that striker is um, will be limited. Obviously, Neil Warnock had uh, had a dig about this in his press conference last Thursday. Um, did he? <laughs> as a sort of just as the press conference was wrapping up, he, he made sure he got it in. Um, I don't think there's a doubt in my mind. I don't think he would have done that had it not been, or at least wouldn't have done it then on the eve of transfer deadline day, had it not been for Kevin Nagel's tweet uh, after the Norwich game where mm-hmm. he called the performance unacceptable. I'm, I'm pretty positive that's what prompted it more than the actual transfer situation because the the earlier comments in the press conference were actually it's not all doom and gloom we do have options i believe in this squad etc etc um this obviously this comment led to a lot of fans speculating about and and me as well because you know not all the information was available at that time as what well why haven't they got these these deals done that warnock is talking about um now I don't believe it's a budgetary thing. They spent money on on Ben Wiles. um, And for all we've talked about, FFI, FFP, um, Kevin Nagel had said that there was money in the budget for the signings they needed to get done. And I'm led to believe that that is remained the case through to the end of the window. You know, they were, you know, bidding for the one or two players. You know, Neil Warnock has has said as much. Mm. So... Don't believe it was a budgetary thing, but either way, they weren't able to get those deals done. So they do have a bit of um, that getting that win has come at a great time, but they do have a bit of faith to restore, I think, because a lot of fans will have been a bit disappointed that they weren't able to get those deals done. Yeah, I mean, they had one one lined up that we knew about that was really exciting because it would have it would have really worked as a striking option. Um, but I I text you. As soon as I saw I saw that Kevin Nagel tweet, which was not not long after full time in truth, and I texted you and said, "What a spectacularly unhelpful tweet mm-hmm. that is," and I stand by that. I think I think Kevin Nagel wants to be 
accessible on Twitter for the fans. And I think he should be applauded for that. I spoke on a podcast here last season about how Town did miss a voice on social media because Sean Jarvis, for all his faults, was accessible. He would answer questions um, and he he had quite a, quite a broad back when things went bad. And he had no problem reveling in it when things were going well. And that's exactly as it should be, really. But I think in terms of that tweet, it's it's kind of the thing that, you know, when you're a manager, when you're Neil Warnock, you're reading a tweet of something that it's perfectly acceptable to say and having a conversation between the two of them. And it's something that Neil Warnock wants to be able to say in a press conference and say in the dressing room, etc. But you don't really want your owner saying it not long after the final whistle because it's I just thought again I just thought it was spectacularly unhelpful and then I think it was it was almost kind of compounded by the the tweet at sort of half three in the morning the day before transfer deadline day saying he was going to be offline until the following week because I think listen it's circumstances he was obviously busy and doing something but I think a lot of town fans really were really quite disappointed with that because it was kind of saying you know I don't want to get. I know. I know the sorts of, sorts of things that are going to be flying around tomorrow, so I'm clearing off for a couple of days. I'm sure that wasn't the case. I'm sure he was very, very valid absence and what have you. But it was just. I think Warnock having an owner who's vocal on social media is quite a different dynamic for him. It's not something I think he's had before. Looking back over his history, Steve, and I think he. I think he quite rightly, if I'm honest, took a bit of umbrage to it. I'm not saying what he came back with was right, you know, but I'm not surprised he did. And we we had a conversation over WhatsApp where me and you said, this is definitely going to get mentioned at the presser in some way or shape or form. It's going to come out, isn't it? What was your sort of take on the whole thing? Yeah, as I say, it, it seemed like he was waiting for that question to be asked, which my, holding my own hands up, that's my own negligence that I didn't ask him about the tweet. Um, and then he, he sort of, yeah, tacked it on at the end and introduced it by saying, by the way, I saw that the chairman has had his say, which is what leads me to believe. And that and the fact that... Because if you go back and watch Warnock's press conference when he first arrived, alongside Jake Edwards, he accepted that there was a budget in place. He has stayed the company line the whole way through the window, really. Um that he would like to get it done but we'll see what happens and um he'd been let down by a couple but that's their loss kind of thing and then all of a sudden after Nagel's tweet it's having a bite back and I think it was to me it's sort of the subtext of it was if you're gonna say stuff in public then I can too (laughs) um so couldn't agree more so yeah I mean I'm sure you know behind closed doors as with any manager there will have been transfer frustrations I, I think you'd and again I'm not saying this just to defend town but I think you would genuinely struggle to find a manager in this country who isn't annoyed that some tra- target they wanted hasn't gone through this summer it happens Steve, Steve Cooper yeah <laughs> so I don't think it needs necessarily to be a big thing obviously it was all anyone was talking about uh all of thursday evening and friday and and we had to sort of make a big deal of it because when a manager says something like that it, it is kind of a big deal but at the same time i don't think it has to be a big deal from from this point forward no i i think warnock kind of did the right thing by using it as fuel that's 
that's uh, it worked. You know, I think it. Get, I think it's given him that little that little bit of grit he needs in his middle to really get going. But I, I just, I think when we were at Magic Rock in the summer, we talked a little bit about Kevin Nagel and coming in and what have you. And I said that one of the things that's going to happen is I think over the first six to twelve months he's going to make quite a lot of mistakes because it's a very different world and. I know he wants to do things a different way and he believes he can be slightly smarter about work, slightly smarter rather than harder about things to get town where they need to be, which is all fine. But I think I think it was a mistake to react like that. Um, and I think it's probably something that, you know, Kevin came back and tweeted, uh, I think it was a couple of hours later maybe, with with a bit more of an explainer on it and a little bit... He didn't shy away from the fact he'd made his point but he kind of, instead of doubling down, he did kind of soften it a little bit and add a bit of explanation around it. So I think in his heart of hearts, I think it, he knows it was just an emotional response. And I think, you know, the long and short of it is, Steve, I, I don't think you can react emotionally to Huddersfield Town losing a game like that straight away because there will be games that they win and there will be games that they lose, won't there? That's just the nature of Huddersfield Town's life in the Championship. So... I just I do I do just wonder if it was we may see a slight change going forward and we may not see that kind of that kind of tweet because I'm sure Warnock's feelings are plain for all to see and I'm I'm sure Kevin Nagel didn't what didn't sort of intentionally want to create that situation yeah. he didn't want to have Neil Warnock saying that in the press conference and I'm sure he'll have learned a little bit whether he wants to admit it or not he'll have learned a little bit from that himself but as far as Warnock's concerned as I said I just think if any, he did the right thing by using it as fuel and we're sitting on three points and the international break feels a lot better doesn't it so it can now remain solidly in the rearview mirror which is where it should be at this point i think i think what nagel actually tweeted was relatively innocuous and was the kind of thing you would expect a player to say or a captain or a manager Mm. um i think i do wonder to what extent there is a a cultural difference here because obviously you know nagel's not new to 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 football you know Mm. he's been at sacramento public a long time but i think we know that there's a bit more of a Cult of personality around owners in in US sport. I think they tend to there is and there's a different sort of media culture. You know, I think the US media there's a lot more access. Uh, things are kept behind closed doors an awful lot less. It's almost not at all basically in in American sport. Mm-hmm. Cameras are allowed everywhere. Everyone sees everything. So I wonder if there's a little bit of a learning curve for Kevin Nagel there. That actually there's some things. It, when it comes to English football, where you, there are certain things that you keep within closed doors, um. particularly if Neil Warnock is your manager, I think. <laughs> yeah. And what I mean by that is not like Neil Warnock is some great big bear that you're supposed to be afraid of, but like Neil Warnock knows the point that Kevin's making, so Kevin's doing it for himself and for the fans. But it's sort of Warnock's place to make that point, yeah. and I just, I just feel that I think you're, I think you're. You're perfectly right to say that because <laughs> let's have it at brass tacks. You are creating a cult of personality around yourself if you are self-producing a documentary about you taking over this football yeah. club and your journey with it. And I'm not, I'm not criticising, but I'm saying it's impossible not to see the ego involved in that. But nobody gets that level of money and that level of success in business without that level of ego. That's just. 
that's a conversation about capitalism, <laughs> not about football ownership. So it, I do think I do think it will have it will adjust. And as I, I just think it's it, it's a first twelve months new owner in English football mistake, isn't it? You know, we've we've seen lots of them. But the thing is, you just don't dwell on it because I don't think Warnock will. You know, I don't think Warnock's no. ever going to bring it up again. It's not. It, it, it's just because I don't think he's built like that either. I think he he will have got. <laughs> Let's be honest, he'll have got his message across in private as well as publicly in the presser. So, yeah, we we can all move on from that, really. Yeah, fingers crossed. The, the, uh, as far as the, the transfer deadline day goes, yeah, it's, uh, as we say, disappointing not to get that striker in. But I think it would have been worse, and I think this is a point Warnock himself made, would have been much worse for them to have gone, OK, well, we've got money to spend, so and we need someone. Here's someone, so let's sign them. Um, you know, and get just anyone in. You know, I, I think it, if it was, if this was yeah. after the, if this was the January window, and you're six points away from safety, maybe it's different. But knowing that you've still got that fallback, knowing that you've got options that you've not even tried yet, I think that's the other thing. And sort of implicit in having talked about the change they made against West Brom is we can criticise the town attack and and the issues that they've had, but they hadn't really tried different personnel or a different formation yet. They hadn't tried to find different solutions with the personnel that they had yet, Um, which I think sometimes we forget, particularly when the window is open, you can actually change things with what you already have. You don't, it doesn't have to be a a shiny new person coming in. Um, So yeah, I think if, if they couldn't find someone who sort of fit, their criteria who was sort of willing to come and ticked all the boxes and all of these things you need for a transfer to go through then why force it at this stage yeah also look at the structure of the club they're still they're still recruiting Mm -hmm. you know behind the scenes roles which was something we'll probably have a little chat about but I don't think the recruitment department is where they wanted it to be right now you know I think obviously they're working on that and it may well be different in the next transfer window I don't think they necessarily I don't think they have whiteboards full of targets I don't think they have their A targets their B targets and their C targets all set out yet just because of the nature of the change and everything like that so it was kind of it was kind of inevitable that if they didn't get the sort of four players that they were going after they didn't have another four lined up and then another four if they didn't come up and another four like other clubs will and like town will you know in time so it's kind of inevitable it's not to excuse it as I said I still think it's a big gap in that squad and I still think it's something that's going to cost them in games but I do it's it's that classic thing of I'm not trying to offer an excuse but I am trying to perhaps Mm. suggest a reason I think it's been I don't think it's been a major secret that Neil Warnock has been involved in the recruitment side alongside Mark Cartwright you know they've talked about how they were all they're all sort of trying to pull their weight on it. I I question whether Town, when they're looking to replace Neil Warnock, probably next summer, whether they would want a manager who is involved in the transfer dealings to, to that extent. You don't. Yeah. <laughs> I can answer that for you. You don't. Look at Town's very recent success. And that was built around a model where you had a manager managing the players yeah. he was given. Well, that's, the previous regime, I would have said definitely that's not what they want. But I, I, you know, there's that, that. I agree. I think there's, but there's just that sort of five percent doubt in my mind of like, oh, might they actually? If it would they be willing to make that concession again? But I think the fact that they've got a sporting director and they've today announced um, a, a new head of recruitment as well. Um, 
Lee, Lee Mabry has come in from from Swansea City. He, I think they would ideally have liked to have gotten him before um, the window closed. Obviously, I think some people will go, "Why have you announced the head of recruitment three days after the window shut?" But we know the takeover happened in June, um, and he had a notice period to to, to work out. Unfortunately, um, so they weren't able to get him in. But I think that I think we're seeing that there is a bit of not to say that there are odds, but I think Warnock's brief and concerns are very much this season whereas Kevin Nagel and Jake Edwards and Mark Cartwright are all having to look at okay but what happens after Neil Warnock which you know Warnock is let's be honest only going to worry about to a certain extent um so yeah I I I think they want to create They've talked, like Kevin Nagel has talked a little bit about, you know, player trading is old-fashioned and all of that sort of thing. They obviously have some ideas and a way they want to do it and all of that sort of thing. So that's fine and they've got to stay the course. They've got to... I, I I just think if you get Neil Warnock in, you kind of let him have to be Neil Warnock. Mm-hmm. And you have to put all of this... It kind of feels like they're moving a lot of people into positions and a lot of stuff is happening... But at the moment, you've just got sort of Neil Warnock in the middle doing what he wants, and they've kind of just got to put their hands up and say, "Fine." Well, that's sort of what the they hired him for, however isn't many it? months. Yeah, that's precisely it. But then I think, I think if we want to see proof of concept, I think if we want to know, you know, that there is a plan and everything, I think you want that manager effectively in place before the end of the season. And I don't mean actually doing the role. I mean, you know we're going into the summer knowing who is going to be Huddersfield Town's manager. We can't be sitting here in mid-August and Town still haven't got anybody for the role. You know, I think you want to see recruitment done nice and quickly. Mm. Um, there, are, there are all these signs, all of these things that point towards a sort of efficiently well-run club and that's the sort of indicators that we want to see going forward. But there's another transfer window in January and I do think they... I think they might do a little bit of business mm. in January if I was a betting man. I, I think they might get a striker in for certain... Well, I'm almost certain they'll get a striker in and it wouldn't surprise me if there's a little bit more business, but we shall see. We shall yeah, see. it sort of depends on results, doesn't it? Because if they're on a Completely. winning streak and, you know... Um, but, and what their objective... You know, I think, let's be honest, you and I have said the same on this podcast. If they stay up this season and they've got... All of this, they've managed to get all this stru- new structure in place. David Weatherall, another new arrival at the club, is mm-hmm. strategic advisor to the academy. You know, that's another project that's going to be ongoing over the next year, getting that back um, to category three. Uh, he is the, you know, previously the head of uh, of mm-hmm. the all the youth recruitment, the youth development across the EFL. Town are bringing in people from sort of these very senior positions and from Premier League backgrounds. So, I think there's definitely sort of ambition being shown in the kind of hires that they're making and making sure they're getting the most senior people they possibly can for these roles but and I think you know any transfer window again not making excuses for them because they had to do they had to do it anyway so um, they had to get the recruitment right anywhere that you can't sort of excuse them for it but I think the best transfer windows you always need a run up you and I know the, the summer business is being talked about before the January windows even opened and they'll be making sort of investigations to, you know, when they signed the likes of Tom Lees and uh, Matty Pearson and even, you know, Mm -hmm. Jordan Rhodes, those three signings, free agent signings, Lee Nichols, the free agent signings they made that summer, they would have been talked to months before the summer. 
Um, and Town haven't had the the luxury of that this summer. You know, Mark Cartwright came in and the takeover finished in June. Cartwright came in quite quickly. Um, but, you know, they've replaced the entire recruitment team, more or less. You know, the head of recruitment's gone. The head of football operations has gone. Um, the owner's gone. So any plans they might have had, you assume, have sort of gone out the window and they've started from scratch in the middle of, or right at the beginning of, I should say, a transfer window. Um, so... I think sort of the proof of the pudding is a bit is was always going to be a bit more in what they do in January and next summer. But uh, again, not making huge excuses there because uh, they still had to. You know, it's not like um, it's not like they didn't know back in March when they agreed that takeover that this was going to happen. And I'm sure they will have been making, even though if they couldn't act on them, making plans at that point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think investment comes in different forms. David Weatherall is, is a major investment. You know, he will not have been cheap, Steve, by any stretch. And the other thing is you have to understand that it's a role that you're probably not going to see the benefit of for five years as a minimum. That does suggest, um, you know, long-term plan. Mm. That does suggest long-term investment in, in the areas that me and you as analysts like to see. It's not as sexy as going and spending £8 million on Ellis Sims. And, and me and you wouldn't pretend that it is but at the same time these are the things that you do when you can't go and spend eight million pound on Ellis Sims you know you have to find a different way and Kevin Nagel has repeatedly talked about finding different ways and finding new ways and there are he's got plans and schemes so you know we're, we're maybe starting to see the the genesis of mm. of his plan forming so that's fine but this season on the pitch they kind of their ambitions are quite limited, but at the same time, they they do need to they do need to show a little bit of something. There is a massive recruitment job next summer on the quiet. Yeah, Steve. yeah, yeah. A, a huge recruitment job coming up next summer. So that's why I think they would be, you know, relatively wise to potentially do a little bit of business in January um, and just get a couple in who at least. You can go, okay, we'll do what you can over the next five months, but really, your job really kicks in. Yeah, like Sorba Thomas or Carlin Grant or yeah. those kinds of January arrivals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, a good win. <laughs> yeah, it was a good win. And, you know, again, final point I don't want us to sort of sit here and sound like, oh, they've made all these great hires. Now everything's going to be fine in, in five or 10 years. Um, but we are sort of giving them the benefit of the doubt for now, you know, um, and mm. it's good, I think, at least to see that they are making moves that, that hint that they are looking in that direction. Obviously, the proof of, of what they are actually capable of doing and what they are able to accomplish will be in the eating. But obviously, you know, I don't think for all we can't sit here and say, oh, it's a great success. I don't think anyone can sit there and say, oh, it's all it's all going to be a right state in five years either, I think. Annoyingly, there is a bit of wait and see, but people don't like wait and see. <laughs> it's not. It's not sexy. No. That's the thing. It's not. Patience isn't sexy. You know, there's a reason it's called slap and tickle, and that's because it's exciting. It's not called. It's not called patience and waiting, is it? Cool. Huddersfield well, Town women. Just checking in on them. Uh, they sadly lost. 4-0 to Stoke City on Sunday afternoon, uh, but they have a couple of chances to, to bounce back, and you can go and watch both of them if you're in the Huddersfield area. They're playing Halifax on Thursday evening. That's a 7.45 kickoff. Uh, that's going to be played at, at Liversidge. 
Um, and they're also taking on Burnley. They're at home to Burnley on Sunday at four o'clock. Both of those are league games. Um, so get on down to those. The Stafflex Arena for the home game, which is uh, Shelley. Um, so, yeah, go and support the women. You've got no excuse um, when there's an international break going on. Uh, and finally, um, before we get into the recommendations, I'm doing Miles for Marcus, an 18-mile walk. Uh, obviously, the club have organised it. You'll have seen all about it already, so um, I won't bore you with the details. But it is a for motor neurone disease charity, raising funds for that. Um, really appreciate those of you who have donated already. Uh, I will do a roll call and read all the names out next week uh, once you've, because I haven't plugged it on the podcast yet, but every supporter who has pledged anything will get a mention on the podcast next week. Uh, if you go to just justgiving.com slash page slash Stephen Chicken, uh, you'll be able to donate there. Or just go onto my Twitter and look at my uh, pinned tweet. Dave, what is your media recommendation? Uh, I am going to go with... There is a series just come back onto Sky called Warrior, which is, is, is admittedly not for the faint of hearted. It's a historical series from the makers of a program called Banshee which I will recommend at some point because I adored Banshee uh, with a passion. Warrior is very it's in a similar vein about Chinese gangs in in New York very early in its history um, and they sort of the the immigrant gangs coming in and taking over various areas and all of that sort of thing. As I said it's not for the faint-hearted it's 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 very in your face but it's just it's just an hour of nonsense every week, Steve, and we all need an hour of nonsense every week, don't we? We certainly do, beyond this podcast. Uh, my recommendation is another podcast, though, uh, which is called Articles of Interest. It's been going for a few years now, hosted by... If any of you listen to 99% Invisible, you've probably at least heard of this podcast, but it's made by Avery Truffleman, who is one of their former uh, producers and presenters. Um, she used to do sort of a series on, like, a particular... Um, theme each that sort of once a year so she did one on like the wedding industrial complex a few years ago for instance uh that was really interesting um but she's now just doing sort of bits and bobs uh, and i listened to her episode about corduroy at the weekend and it was more interesting than you would have expected from a, a show about corduroy but she's also done stuff about like uh why doesn't the closet from clueless exist um, that that selects shares outfit for her, uh, and there's a very interesting discussion about why that because it seems like it should or at least it should be an app, and that app has been made several times, and there's a reason that um, that it doesn't work and no one's interested in using it, uh, which is completely counterintuitive. But yeah, that's articles of interest. Uh, thank you for joining us, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next time. I'm going to be a terrier. Goodbye. See you there. Recording. Let me just have one mouthful of crisps. I don't know why I started recording and then had a big mouthful of crisps. Completely counterproductive, that. Also, what the f am I going to recommend? <laughs> I've no idea. I mean, the last thing I read was the guide to the 1982 World Cup in Spain. <laughs> I can't really recommend that. Uh, all I've been listening to is Fred again, and I reckon I recommended him before. Um, 
All I've been watching is the best of Saint of Greavesley, and I recommended that last time. <laughs> I might just recommend YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> just say it's great. There's loads of stuff on there. Yeah, that's not a bad show. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, what am I going to recommend? That's a good point. Are we still recording, by the way? Yeah, of course we are. Of you can sift through all of this. Mm-hmm. Not like you got anything better to do. No. Oh, I know what I'm going to recommend. Cool. I'll think of something. I'll wing it. What crisps you got? Barbecue beef flavour hula hoops. Because all the kids are back, the meal station at Sainsbury's was just absolutely decimated. R.I.P. They all go up at their own. So, the crisp selection was... I think that's I think that's a strong choice though. I think I there is a fair chance I would grab the the barbecue beef flavor hula hoops even with a fully stocked compliment. Oh yeah, I I like them. I like them. But I like the um I'm an absolute bird for a salt and vinegar McCoy. And I would if they'd have had any salt and vinegar McCoys left, that would have been what I'd have gone for. But barbecue beef hula hoops are always my second choice. Do you want to do a crisp recommendation instead of the media recommendation? No, I think... You'll be, you'll be there all day otherwise. 